so the way I balance that is having good quality on my content. That is, you know, it could be a, a video or a text or a algorithm, whatever, mm -hmm. that will deliver value. And then I do the volume by the way I promote it, right? So I'll do the volume out on reaching out to people through several different uh, approaches and channels to get them to click through that. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in to the Wisenetics podcast. My name is Daryl. I'm your host, at least today, and I'm the head of sales with Wisenetics. And today we've got a special guest. I've got Cristiano Von Simpson. Uh, he's the director of marketing and veterinary services at Burback. Cristiano, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Daryl. Thanks for asking. Awesome. Hey, always happy to ask. Tell us a little bit about you and, and what you do at uh, Verbeck. So I am a veterinarian turned into marketeer uh, many, many years ago. And so at Verbeck, I have a bit of a dual role. I'm in charge of marketing for some of our brands, uh, the more medical stuff, less consumer prescription, so the more prescription side. And then I had our veterinary team that is out there educating the, the customers. Oh, wow. That, that's an interesting kind of dual split. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I found that in, in my career, I I started in industry uh, as a field veterinarian, right, with a more technical role. Six months into it, I was pulled into marketing to help with a launch, and, and I found that the next 40 years almost was uh, more a marketing career. <laughs> Not that much, 30 plus. Uh, and But always, because we have products that are inherently you know, pharmaceuticals and, and supplements and all that, I always use my technical background to help positioning the product and all that. So I was always a bit of a dual role. Mm -hmm. Now, finally, I'm kind of got uh, it officially on my business card that I'm doing <laughs> both things. <laughs> nice. Well, that, that's an interesting turn of events there, but I could definitely see how you could leverage your technical experience to help in the marketing side. Um, awesome. Oh, tell me a little bit about uh, your achievements. Give us your top three and really what have you learned from those? So I, when I think of top achievements, uh, you always think about the really big successful product launches, right? And I was fortunate to be, I guess, at the right place at the right time and launch some uh, game changers. So I started my career launching the first modern flea and tick product, Frontline. Uh, and that was a really interesting experience, not only because it was a big product that was very successful and, and changed the face of flea and tick control, in industry, but also because it allowed me to be with a company that grew dramatically. And I was part of that process of uh, learning, you know, how to move from a relatively small company to uh, number one in the animal health industry. Uh, and, and that was just a lot of learning. Uh, the other thing that uh, I enjoyed was launching uh, my first global product when I moved to global marketing. Uh, I launched a product for equine gastric ulcers called GastroGuard. And that's where I learned to do it globally, right? The different cultures, different markets, and and found that at the root of it, it's all the same when you think of marketing. <laughs> the drivers, right? People are people. What drives them is the same. It's just how you package it, how you approach them, how you word it, that, that needs to be locally adapted. But the key basic principles are the same wherever you go. You just need to adapt to the culture. 
And more recently, uh, I just launched a product for uh, tumors in dogs called Stelfonta that's also being developed for humans. So hopefully we'll have it in, in the future that it's another game changer on the way it works. It's a, you know, it, it, instead of doing surgery to remove a skin tumor, you inject the product in the tumor that will destroy the tumor and heal the space where the tumor was. So it was a, it's a big change for the veterinarians on how they do things. And again, learning how to educate and how to, to bring that product, the, the hurdles we get, uh, uh, it's been a lot of learning again. And by now you probably realize that what drives me and, and excites me is learning new things. Right? <laughs> and, oh, oh, I don't think so much about the incredible commercial success that, that those products are, frontline gas regard, but more about how much I learn and the, the new things I discovered. Sure. No, those are those are all incredible achievements. I mean, I've, I'm sure I've used Frontline. I know I've used Frontline for, for my pets in the past, and I, I think I still do, to be honest. Um, but what a learning experience going from, you know, a company to a rapidly growing company. Um, that's really cool. Um, and really interesting to know that you were part of that. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, I always like to ask this question because I think it's a fun question. What would your parents describe you as, as what you do? How would they describe it? Uh, they still will probably describe it as, a, as their son, the veterinarian, right? Because <laughs> uh, I'm still, because I'm in animal health and I love animals. Now I have dogs and horses and my, so I'm the still in their mind, a veterinarian. I think my dad probably understands better all the other part of my role, the marketing and the business part, because he was also in, in industry and et cetera. Uh, but when I describe myself deep down in the heart, that's probably the first thing that comes to mind. Right? It's my love for the animals and, and being a veterinarian. And a lot of my career in, in marketing is, is also fulfilling on, on top of all the things I like to do marketing-wise is because I know I'm bringing new information and new tools to the profession. And I'm, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm getting uh, the animals better medicine and, and better results. So that not only drives me personally, but it helps me uh, in my marketing approach because that's, that's being really in tune with my customer, right? The veterinarians out there, they have a business, they have a veterinary hospital, or they're they're working in you know, a large animal. But the reason that they became veterinarians is not to be businessmen, it's to protect animals and to give you know, deliver better health services and, and make them happier and healthier. So because I feel the same way, it's it's a lot easier for me to put myself in my customer's shoes and, and bring the best messages out there. Sure. Sure. That makes total sense. And I love to see here. And, and it sounds like a primary reason for, for most vets, just like you said, is, is a love for animals. Um, and, and that just translates straight down. Um, kind of moving into that vein of questioning about marketing itself, um, in your opinion, what are the main changes that have happened in marketing um, since digital media and the internet have really become a part of people's lives? And further on, how should that be incorporated in a company strategy? Well, to me, you know, being being there before and being here now, it's so exciting to have all those new tools, right? All the the media, the social media, the digital for several reasons. 
we all know that it's highly efficient, it's more cost effective, you can segment better. But also as a marketeer, you can get feedback and try things and test things a lot faster, right? I remember back in the day when the main media was no TV commercials. No, you would do the the focus groups first, you do your pre-testing of the concepts and all that. But once you had it out there, that was it, right? There was no not a lot of uh, of opportunity to change or tweak it until next year or next season, whatever it was your, your calendar for, for creating a new material. Uh, so now you can really fine-tune it. No, you can change it on the same day. You can start with two, three concepts. You can see how they're responding. So today we can really be a lot more detailed and accurate on our approach, not only by segment your audience a lot better, but you can also uh, have different approaches for different channels, right? I, I, for example, right now, when I promote my product, I know that depending on the publication I'm reaching the vet through, when I reach them on a more technical journal, I, I learned that a more clinical, technical messaging and imaging will grab their attention and work better than a more, I guess, consumer entertaining approach. If they are the same vet, if I reach them through Facebook, then I want something that's a little more colorful and entertaining because they're in a different mindset. But to me, the new tools provide you all that ability to uh, test to segment to uh, fine-tune your approach marketing itself didn't change now what you're trying to do is the same thing you just got much better tools now that allows you to be more precise more reactive and you got to be ready to to make the most of the feedback you get from the results and quickly adapt that's an amazing answer um, especially you know we do a lot of a b testing ourselves we could probably do a lot of abcd testing too but um the speed at which we get data now really yeah. helps us and i'm sure you guys as you yourself use that all day long yeah and, and we're still learning right because it's evolving so fast i used to do a b testing in general now I'm, I'm moving to oh depending on the publication i want to tailor it accordingly and it will keep evolving and right? we'll keep learning more and more and and the amount of data you can collect on your customer too, not only the, the, the hard data, but the data on how they react and how they respond, uh, it's, it's amazing. And you can tailor everything by that. Even your commercial promotions, you can tailor based on what they respond to and what they don't respond to. That's, in, that's insightful. That's really insightful. What are your thoughts on, on content marketing? And how do you see that compared to you know, traditional marketing? Well, in, in our industry, in animal health, particularly when you're talking to pet owners and veterinarians or, or even production animal, content was always important, right? Our, our messages, there's, there's some branding, there's some, you know, the power of the brand, but our messages have always been a little more complex messages. So you're talking about, you know, products that will nourish or pharmaceuticals and all that. So you need, you have a longer story than a, 30-second quick branding commercial. Mm-hmm. But as we move into digital, uh, the, the very, I guess, used and abused word, content is king, it's, re- it's really true, right? Because 
you're competing with so much stuff there. There's you know, a, a, an abundance of options of what you can do with your time on the internet. So being relevant, not only have content, but being relevant and creating that image that when I see a contact from this source, I want to click on it and I want to pay attention to this. It's really important. Uh, and it's not easy to do, right? Because good content takes effort. Uh, but it, so sometimes you need to resist that temptation to go for volume and really go for quality. Uh, no, don't, don't send 30 emails or 30 banners or whatever to your customer, but pick one that will really have that stopping power and will drive some action. Uh, the other thing that's happening is that you got to think on that call to action where no, is your bad, is your message going to be there or are you wanting them to click through to something and what they're going to click through? Mm-hmm. And sometimes, the, so the content sometimes is the second or third layer. And if you create that content, you can leverage it in many different ways. Uh, that's what we've been trying to do more and more is to have some solid content that then you can leverage in, in several different digital outreach options. Sure. And do you find that... Um... <clears throat> There's a balance between quality and volume, or would you say that quality is going to be the king for you guys? So the way I balance that is having good quality on my content. That is, you know, it could be a, a video or a text or a algorithm, whatever, that will deliver value. And then I do the volume by the way I promote it, right? So I'll do the volume out on reaching out to people through several different uh, approaches and channels to get them to click through that that content that's quality. Gotcha. So uh, you can have both in that sense, but you need to start with that good content first before you spend a lot of uh, time and money getting people to click through. Gotcha. Hey, that makes sense. You have to have something great for them to get to. Yeah. Because you want them to go through it. At the Otherwise, end of the you get that nice thing that will make them click, and then when they click, it's a Big disappointment, right? You right. lose them right there. <laughs> that uh, that's true. It's the, one that, it's the the thing that frustrates the most when I'm online, just you know, entertaining myself. Is the <laughs> clickbait, right? You get mm-hmm. an article with a, a headline that is really exciting on a topic that you you are interested because, of course, they know the topics I'm interested. I'm online, uh, and then when you click through, the title really doesn't mirror the the content of the article or something like that. It's all no twisted to make you click, but then you get there, it's a disappointment. Yeah, that or the negative, titles. Yeah, that <laughs> negative feeling is the last thing you want for your customer to feel, right? You want the opposite. You want them to click through and be amazed by what you're serving them. That's an interesting take. And, and I, I, I agree with that. But I think we're all victims of clickbait where we're like, ooh, that article sounds interesting. And the only thing interesting was the title. (laughs) And then it's that long thing with a bunch of ads in it and you you feel stupid that you clicked on it. Yeah. So, of course, uh, so it's easy to get excited about the power of your message on your banner or whatever it is that you're sending out that for people to click through. your, your, Your post on sponsored post or whatever it is. But then forget that the, the important part of the experience is once they click through and, and experience what you want to serve them. Awesome. Awesome. So the, the king piece really is the content experience, what yeah. you want to drive them to. 
Yeah, I love and that's that. where we, we, you know, in, in our industry, I leverage a lot the experts, the opinion leaders, but then you want to format it into a highly, you know, attractive format too. And, and that's the other part that's evolving, right? It used to be written back in the day. Now, then we're trying to be more interactive. Or lots of videos, the way that people learn changed. Now, nobody reads a whole full page anymore, not even a full paragraph. So we're looking at podcasts. We're looking at videos, how-to videos, small snippets of information. And, and you got to make that, that uh, content not, also, not only relevant, but also easy to digest and entertaining in a way. Sure. Absolutely. We're kind of finding the same things here, too, at WiseNetics. Kind of building on that just a little bit, I think you mentioned it just a bit with using experts, but how do you build authority and a thought leadership for your brand and an audience? So there's, there's several different ways you go about it, right? Uh, uh, when I have the more medical scientific messages, the experts are really important. So one of my uh, one of the, the brands, the, the group of brands that I manage is dermatology. So, of course, the specialists on dermatology uh, are big. And you, you build those relationships over time. It's not something that you flip a switch and you have it. So, it takes time and effort to get those experts on board. Uh, we do roundtables. We do uh, panels to create guidelines or recommendations. All that is, is really good. Uh, another level is the peer-to-peer advice, so building your advocates. And that can be a, a veterinary practitioner, general practitioner, can be a pet owner, and you want to nurture that, right? There, you, you want to know who are the people that are using your product and are happy with it. Reach out to them and create situations for them to share with each other so you build that energy up. And then you want to share that energy with the people that are not aware of your product yet. Uh, this last product that I mentioned uh, that we launched for tumors in dogs has been a great example of that. Because when a pet owner goes through an experience with cancer, it's a highly emotional experience, right? Cancers still have that stigma of being almost a death sentence. So having a product that will uh, heal that dog it's a really powerful experience for that owner and they want to share they want to help other dogs and other owners so we we are doing a lot of what we're doing right now is facilitating that information flow the energy is already there you just need to tap into it and then make it make it available for the other owners that are considering or not aware and that peer-to-peer recommendation is way more powerful than anything else i could do Right? Because the people that have been through it and they know how hard it was emotionally and how amazing it was in the end. Absolutely. I, I could really see that, especially for the new product for, for the tumors. You know, I think we've all had a pet at some point we've had to part with. And you know, uh, our family pet growing up ended up with a ton of different tumors all across her body. And you yeah. know, my dad... <clears throat> was very attached to that animal and uh, it was tough watching that happen. Um, so being and that's able to... the extreme example, right? but you know, for more day to day things too, you know, if you think of an allergic dog and the owner that's been struggling, not finding a solution for that pet, that's always uncomfortable and itchy. 
a dog that has frequent ear problems. So a lot of those not health-threatening problems, but things that cause discomfort and, and anxiety and stress uh, also can, when you have a solution that can generate a very powerful emotion that you want to tap into and share. Uh, an arthritic dog that now can move again. So there's several, several examples in, in our industry that you can use. That's awesome. And I, I love um, how you mentioned kind of taking the energy that's been built and bringing that to people who don't know of it yet. Um, and I think that really grows in and on itself as, as the product gets, you know, deeper market penetration. Yes. Yeah. You see that in other industries, huh? you see the car fiction addos. No, in our industry, we see the breed clubs. No, when you look at the panoras, you see the, no, the Frenchie is the number one breed and you see the Frenchie lovers. And so you can tap into that too. And they share stuff with each other. There's many ways you can get those, those people to advocate for your brands. That's awesome. That's awesome. So we're going to switch gears just a little bit here and kind of wind down more about you and, and less than the marketing. But what is an important lesson that you have learned over your career, Cristiano? Oh, there's been so many lessons. And to me, the most important lesson is how many generous people are out there that will help you if you ask. Because you're humble. And if you're going to a new area of knowledge that you are not, you know, you're not experienced, you want to learn new things, go out there and seek the people that are good at it. And you'll find that many of them will be eager to share and to help you uh, for no personal profit. Building that kind of network of, of generous, positive people that are experts on subjects that will be willing to help you has made an amazing difference in my life. You know, I, I, was, I started my career as a horse veterinarian out in Brazil, where I'm from. And that was my plan for life. So all my study and preparation was to do that. And once I did that and I was successful at it, I realized I was still young and I wanted to learn a lot more. And I ventured into animal health industry and market. Today, I, I work mostly with companion animals. So I had to learn a lot you know, from the business marketing side, but also from the science and, and veterinary medicine side. And there was always a lot of people that that were very generous in sharing their knowledge and helping you along. Uh, but it takes being humble and, and reaching out and asking the questions and, and going there and say, you know, I, I'm new at this. Can you please help me? You'll be surprised how many people will be happy to do that. Now I'm at the point that I'm trying to pay back uh, and, and do the same for other people, right? And, and I, so when people reach out to me, I spend uh, time doing it. And I now I understand why they do it. It feels really good mm -hmm. to help other people you know, and to, to help them along and to get more and more people doing good things in this world. So uh, it sounds maybe a bit romantic or naive, but it really works. Uh, <laughs> go out there and ask. Yeah, no, I think that's awesome. I, I think obviously being humble is a big part of it, you know. Yeah. But... Uh, Taking that first step and asking for help is is something I wish I did more when I was younger, and it's something that especially now I, I strive to do. You know, my father was big on telling me, "You are who your circle is." Well, let's make the circle a yeah. little bigger. Yeah, and it's a when you get thrown a new challenge that you're not proficient at it, right? 
you get a little bit of that imposter syndrome mm -hmm. and you have the tendency to try to say, oh, I'm good at this. I'm going to do it. And, and, and it's almost a defense to not to tell people, hey, I don't know much about this. That's what I had to learn to break and say, okay, I don't learn much, much about this, but I'm a fast learner and I'm going to get good at this. Let me find help. And that, that, that's the big difference. I love it. I love it. Kind of in, uh, in a little different area of a question, but I always like asking this because it's very different for everybody. At what time of day do you get your best work done? Oh, I'm not a morning person at all. Right? <laughs> I, if, if left to my own devices, I would not do much until 10, 11 a.m., uh, but then at the end of the day, my mind is going at a mile, a mile a minute or more. So my, my work in the morning, my work is mostly the administrative stuff, sorting out, reading emails and you know, figuring out what I need to do. Uh, in the afternoon, usually there's too many meetings to get any other work done. And then when everybody goes home and leave me alone, it's where I really do the, the, the stuff I need to my full brain on, right? When I'm, you know, planning, reviewing, reading stuff. And uh, so it tends to be at the end of the day. And that's always been uh, my whole life. That's, that's how my rhythm was. I was, I am able to work early in the morning if I need to, right? As a horse vet, I was at the racetrack at 5 a.m. many times, you know, working with the veterinarians there. Uh, but it's not my sweet spot. I gotcha. We're opposites then. For me, it's when everyone's still sleeping before they wake up. And then I do my admin at the end. Um, but it, it's funny that uh, yours is at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's important to know those things, right? So you can organize your life around it and not fight it. Right? There's nothing wrong of, of not being an early morning person. Uh, you just need, although many times you get that peer pressure on, right? The early bird and all that. But if you're, if, if you know when you're productive, organize your life to, to make the most of it. Yes. You got to find your own worm. Mm -hmm. Correct. You got to find your own worm. At, uh, <laughs> There's got to be some worms that have the same rhythm, right? That will be up late. That's right. That's right. You know, you got to find what's best for you. And, uh, you know, the end of my days is too hectic because my teenagers come home and stuff like that. So I, my big brain can't work there. But when they're still sleeping... I can get it all done. Yeah, so, peace and quiet. That's good. That's right. So this is a dangerous question for me because typically I end up buying them. But what are three books that you would recommend to the audience and why? Uh, see, there's several books, books that I like. I like Simon Sinek a, a lot. And so, Simon Sinek is amazing. One book that I really liked of him is, I think it's his latest book, unless he published something recently. It's called Leaders Eat Last. Mm -hmm. And I like that book because it's something that had been worrying me for a while. Uh, it's, it's how our whole system is working, right? Uh, and he explains much better than, than I could. But he talks about how originally people will buy uh, stocks, invest their money for retirement, but they will invest themselves, right, directly. So they were looking for companies that grew a long time, that had a culture that was the, the blue chips, the solid things, because they they didn't have time to be watching the market and, and buying and trading their stocks all the time. 
And then somebody created a fund manager and the whole chemistry changed. Today you give your money to somebody to, that's full-time investing it. That changed the expectation of time because those folks are you know, buying in the morning. They want profit by the end of the day if they can, right? So it's moving really fast. Well, we all know that, but what that also changes the board of the company. Your board of directors now are all short-term minded. So your CEO is not that CEO that will span a generation of the company like a Yakaka or a Jack Welsh. Mm-hmm. Your CEO has a three-year shelf life and they are moving to the next job and the next job. So nobody is interested in investing for the long term. You don't know. The good projects are the short, fast projects. And that disrupts our system because nobody's investing in training. Nobody is investing in good manufacturing quality. And no, we're all selling dinner to buy lunch, really. Simon Sinek does a great job at showing all the examples of how that's crazy in the short term uh, and the companies that are trying to beat the odds. And that and it has a lot of other insights in terms of, of culture and and companies and how the employees feel about a company that that they trusted that that works well with them. So to me, that's a, an amazing book. It's important to read for anybody in business because we need to buck this trend some somewhat uh, if we want to really be successful. Uh, I'll stop with that one book. If people read that <laughs> one book, I got my job done. There's a few more. I like books on negotiation and influencing people, mm-hmm. uh, but I'll leave them with simultaneous so they focus on it. I will even say that that three book series, the Start with Why series, that it's yeah. part of. There's three books there. We'll, we'll leave it there. I love yeah. his uh, per, perception on on the leadership. That book's an amazing book. I probably should reread it, um, but Start with Why really got me. Um, yeah, that book is, is the one that most people know him for. Mm-hmm. The other thing I like about his books is that many of the business books, they have one concept that will serve to you on the first chapter and then is repetition for 12 more chapters because they need to sell a book, right? <laughs> Simon brings a, a new piece of information and more data uh, at every paragraph, and it's all very well-researched, and, and there's lots of information. So, uh, I you know from page one to the last page, you're getting content for what you pay for. Yeah, for sure. I love it. And his TED Talk, which is, yeah, I think, where the start with why I started from is good. I, I bring that up every now and then um, to everybody here at Wisenetics. Um, but what, first time that question wasn't dangerous to me because I already own them. So, <laughs> <laughs> so kind of wrapping up here, I've got two more questions for you, Cristiano. If you could be remembered for one thing what would it be? That's a, that's a difficult question, right? That's a big, big thoughts there. I think I want to be remembered for making a positive difference uh, and probably for making a positive difference for animals and the people that work with them. Because uh, as I told you early on, I still, the, the reason I'm still doing marketing and animal health and I didn't drift to other areas is because I do have an attachment to the, to this profession. Mm-hmm. So if people remember me for, Oh, he, he, he helped veterinarians do their job a little better by bringing you tools, by sharing information, by educating people. That's what I would like to be remembered for. That's awesome. 
And you know, you know what? Uh, I don't know. It's funny. It's uh, it's great that everybody that I ask that question to is a very similar answer. They want to have a positive impact um, on whatever you know segment they're in and, and their people and the animals. And I really love hearing that every single time. Uh, wrapping it up here, Cristiano, where can listeners find you online? Well, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is fairly unique. So if you search Christiana Von Simpson, you're going to find me on LinkedIn. It's probably a good way to get in touch with me. Uh, I'm also you know, always uh, well, present on animal health events, conferences, and all that. But LinkedIn is the way to, to find me. Perfect. Well, if you want to find Cristiano, he even offered it. He'll be the mentor. <laughs> Go ahead and find him on LinkedIn. I'll be happy to. Awesome. No, feel well, free to reach out to me. Yeah, we will. I, I am already connected, and I'm definitely going to be reaching out to you a little bit. But uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Trichano. Thank you there. It was a pleasure being here. No problem. And you have a great one. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. This has been the Wise Genetics Podcast. We'll see you next time.